I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. To start off the show, I'm joined in the studio by Tammy Sun, who's the co-founder and CEO of the fertility startup Carrot. Tammy, thanks for coming in. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, so give us, actually, before you give us the elevator pitch, let me point our listeners to your website. So it's, I'm going to spell, or I'm going to say and then spell, it's getcarrot.com, and that's get-carrot.com, carrot like the vegetable. Tammy, give us the elevator pitch for Carrot. Great. Um, So we make egg freezing, IVF, and other forms of fertility care easier and more affordable for employees. And we do it by selling a benefit software solution to companies of any size. So small, mid-size, large companies. Um, and, you know, this is this is something that uh, that I've gone through and, and a lot of people that I know are going through. And so cost is, is really the, the central problem. All right. So I think we probably need to back up. Our, our audience skews male and skews a little older, I think, than, the, than, the, than exactly your target segment. And so... I want to back up and talk a little bit about about IVF more generally, egg freezing, other fertility treatments. So tell us, first of all, the typical profile of the end user of the service. So fertility care um, has for a long time been thought of as infertility care. Mm. And so um, two people of the opposite sex trying and failing to get pregnant then they go from the ob environment into the repro-endo environment. And repro-endo is just a fancy way of saying fertility. I see. And so, um, you know, IVF technology has been around for 35-plus years. Um, what's new is the application of um, different pieces of that technology. So now we have a medical intervention known, commonly known as, as egg freezing, mm-hmm. but um, referred to in the medical world as fertility preservation, where you can... Um, you know, retrieve eggs from a female and preserve them for future use. Um, you know, age at which uh, an egg is retrieved is the single biggest determining, important determining factor. The age of the woman. The age of the woman, yeah. and therefore the age of the egg, mm-hmm. is the biggest factor that determines the success of an IVF cycle. And so in terms of what are the different use cases around fertility technology today, it's, of course, sort of the... Um, the, the uh, couple who is going through infertility and using IVF as a, as, as a treatment for that. But you also have all of these different ways that people are using it. So females who are preserving their fertility through egg freezing, couples who are preserving embryos through embryo freezing mm-hmm. because they don't want to start a family today but want to have the option to do so in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, LGBT couples who will, you know, who will go to go directly to fertility technology, IVF, or adoption for family building. Um, in the case of, you know, transgender uh, individuals who look to use fertility technology before transitioning or even afterwards, and so um, the 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 application of of uh, the amazing sort of advances in science and medicine over the past. Uh, several decades, it has has become much more diverse mm-hmm. than sort of the old way of thinking about um, IVF as a treatment for infertility. Yeah. And just to go into the science just a little bit more, so there's a steady decline in the quality of the eggs from, say, the, the, the uh, 
uh, onset of of puberty to, or I, I guess the onset of menstruation to to menopause, and so the quality of an egg in an eighteen year old woman is going to be ex- quite a bit higher than in a forty year old woman. That's exactly right. So the the trick is retrieve the eggs when they're the best. But I guess the obvious question is, are there also declines in the other parts of the reproductive reproductive system? And uh, what's the answer to that? So there are other declines um, in other parts of the reproductive system on the female side Mm -hmm. in terms of uterine lining and, you know, you have different factors that impact, um, you know, the potential for miscarriage. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the age of the egg is the -hmm. the most important one. I will say that there are, there are, there is new sort of research to show that the quality of sperm also declines Mm -hmm. with age. Mm -hmm. And so there was sort of a conventional wisdom a long time ago or even still maybe more recently that you know, male fertility is immune to uh, is immune to the to the ravages of time. Yeah. Um, and that's that's not true. Uh, you know, of course, the sort of the impact is different mm-hmm. for for females and for males. But but um, all fertility uh, declines with age. Mm-hmm. OK. And then and then the and just to, just to, to be more precise about it, if if a woman retrieves her eggs, say, in her 20s before she's early 30s, um, it it can be with fairly good success be implanted up to what age? So some clinics have age limits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some cl- clinics have age limits of fifty five. Some are fifty. Some are sixty. Um, uh, you know, I, I I think each clinic sort of makes that okay, decision on their just own. Just saying those numbers gives us a sense. It's a huge. Uh, time shifting effectively that that's possible through through egg freezing. Yes. Yeah. And I realize there are more options than egg freezing, but just to keep it simple, you retrieve eggs in your 20s or even early 30s. You could shift by as long as 20 years. Yes. Really, the time that you you uh, had a child. Yes. Okay. So that's quite remarkable. And how recently has this been possible? So there have been a few recent developments that make sort of the commercial availability of this kind of care Mm. possible now um, that wasn't possible, you know, even just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. The first is that vitrification freezing, which is a fancy way of saying flash freezing, Mm -hmm. has become um, the most common way to freeze reproductive material. And Mm -hmm. in the case of eggs, it's important because flash freezing versus slow freezing allows the egg to avoid having sort of too many ice crystals on it mm-hmm. that essentially break the egg. Mm. Um, and so the success rates on um, eggs as they thaw are upwards of 90% now, whereas previously you maybe lost half of the eggs wow. uh, in the thaw. Yeah. Um, uh, the second is is that it's no longer experimental. Mm. So um, up until a few years ago, egg freezing was considered an experimental procedure, which sort of limited and constrained the availability of it at various clinics. So now that that sort of label has been lifted, mm-hmm. there's a lot more access mm-hmm. at the you know 470 some odd clinics in this country. And the third is that there's just been a really important cultural shift, and companies and businesses have been an important part of that. Companies like Facebook and Apple and Google, who, you know, in five years ago, four or five years ago, began to include fertility as a standard part of health benefits at work, sent a really important signal. And they were really the first movers to say that fertility care is, is, a, par, is, a, is a core part of health care. And so that set the, set the pace for the rest of um, the industry to begin to pay attention to this issue yeah. and listen to employees as they say, like, this is something that we care about. Yeah. You know, I want to, I said in the intro that I like to extract tools, principles, and methods. And the fr- 
the one that strikes me right now is often entrepreneurial opportunities come about because of some discontinuity in technology or in, in this case in medical science out there in the world. And so this is an instance where it became there were dramatic improvements in the medical technology, but the surrounding issues of business model, service provision, and access and information really lag that. And so that's often the opportunity for an entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about the origin story. How did you get interested in this and where did the idea, where did the concept for the business carrot come from? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I never thought I would I, I'd start a company. I um, I was working at Evernote, uh, which is a product productivity software mm. company here based in Silicon Valley, um, and decided that it was some freezing my eggs was something that I was very interested in mm -hmm. for various reasons. And um, you know, I I went to the to the fertility clinic, found one here in in San Francisco that looked good, and as it turns out, it's a very expensive procedure. About how much? So one attempt, which is uh, they call a cycle, mm -hmm. is about ten thousand dollars. And how many eggs might you get from that? So in my case, I got very few. Yeah. In in a sort of the average for my age, you'd get maybe ten or mm. fifteen, mm. right? So if you really wanted to be sure, you might have to do it a couple times. The average now is two cycles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you're spending tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Really, yeah. it's a it's a pretty expensive procedure. And I went back to the people team at Evernote and I said, listen, is there anything that you can do to help me here? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had amazing benefits, not just across healthcare, but across just other areas that would help make you more productive and a, a better employee. And unfortunately, you know, they went out to look for a solution and there was, there was nothing available. There is infertility insurance, which is an insurance product mm -hmm. that you can buy from any of the carriers. The challenge with infertility insurance is that in, in almost every case, there is a medical diagnosis for infertility requirement, which means that you have to try and fail to get mm. pregnant for six to 12 months before mm. you're able to access that financial benefit. And in my case, um, for in others, for women who are doing egg freezing or couples who are doing embryo freezing or gay or lesbian couples, they, they will never come across that disease diagnosis. Right. And so I, I, went, I, I ended up paying for it out of pocket. Mm. Um, it cost me, you know, tens of $30,000. And um, uh, I teamed up with um, my co-founder, Dr. Asma Ahmed, and and started to build a team and really think about what is the, as you said, sort of, what is the, is there an opportunity in this space? Um, it's so easy for us to order groceries. And then, and yet this is something that I care deeply about. And I, I experienced all of this friction, not just on the cost side, but on the experience side, mm -hmm. like how the care was experienced. And um, really started thinking about, okay, well, what is the, is the time now and, and what is the transformative solution? Mm -hmm. Well, so I, I suppose the, the obvious, or I shouldn't say the obvious, but, but my knee-jerk reaction is, well, you could just give you, they could just give you money. So, so why isn't it just a financial benefit? Why does a company need an enterprise solution related to fertility? It's a great question. So there are a couple of reasons why having a third party um, administer the benefit is is strongly preferential. So first is privacy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where you you take the burden off of the employee to have to present themselves to you as somebody who's interested in doing IVF and asking you for money. And so it allows both sides of, of the of the company, both the employee and the, and the HR team to maintain a level of discretion and privacy. So they they pay the bills, but they don't see exactly what's going on, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
The second is, is that it's not just a financial vehicle. Carrot is a, is a platform that helps make the experience better. So you can chat anytime, uh, you know, text or video or voice with fertility experts. And these are nurses and doctors to help you really navigate your decision making, recommend and route you to the right clinic. If you are getting fertility care and you have to give yourself shots at night, I don't know how much you know about IVF or egg freezing, but you often have to self-administer three or four shots a night. Um, you know, we will book a video appointment with you mm -hmm. and have a nurse sort of walk you through how to load your pens and mix your medication. The process isn't rocket science, but it's not intuitive. Yeah. It's not intuitive yeah. at all. Um, and so, you know, the, the experience of going through fertility, whether it's IVF or egg freezing can be daunting. And there are lots of studies that show it's, it's a very stressful experience. Mm -hmm. And so what we try to do is, you know, address the core problem, which is cost and affordability. And then once we have solved that problem, we try to make the experience better for the employee as well. Mm -hmm. So I suppose the, the second question that comes to mind is, yeah, but everything you just said would also characterize many kinds of medical procedures. So why isn't this part of more conventional health uh, health insurance? So health insurance does not consider infertility a medical necessity. Mm -hmm. um, it's not considered an essential health. Mm -hmm. It's not as it's categorized as essential health in the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. Most insurance policies do not cover um, infertility at all. Mm -hmm. If you want to include it in your plan, it's typically an add-on. So it's a rider. Yeah. Um, it's one of the most expensive riders yeah. that you can that you can pay for. Yeah. And so what we do is we say just make it simple. Nobody likes to, you know, interact with insurance mm. for, you know, for, for very much if you can avoid it. And so we're sort of like, you know, we're this high touch approach, compassionate, data driven human fertility experts plus software um, that that gives that is only focused on this aspect yeah. of care. So the cynic might say, oh, yeah, and you've heard this before, I'm sure uh, nothing uh, Mark Zuckerberg would like more than to keep his 28-year-old women uh, chained to their cubicles uh, for another 20 years. So just pay for the 10,000, 20,000, and you got them because then they're just going to work. They're, 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 there's no reason to, to take time off. Uh, is there any truth to that, and what evidence do you have to support or refute that, that cynical view? Yeah. So the cynical view, a couple of things. One, it doesn't take into account, the again, the wide diversity of fertility that we're talking about, right? We're talking about men. 40% mm. of our users are actually male. Um, you know, we're talking about gay couples. Oh, let me we're just interrupt you. Uh, all right, I'm not getting something. What what exactly are the men doing? Um, so they can do IVF with their partner. I see. Um, so it's a, it's a partner benefit. Oh, okay. Exactly. All right, all right. Um, but to sort of to, to, to that point, what I would say is like, you know, that that sort of assumption, the cynical assumption takes away a lot of agency from from women themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And so just because my employer is presenting me with an option, um, the idea that I can't that, that I can't make a I, I would somehow be fooled into making a, an important life decision um, because this benefit is available um, doesn't resonate with me. And I don't think it resonates with a lot of a lot of women in general, like there's lots of benefit offerings and programs at work around maternity and, and all sorts of things. And just because they're available doesn't mean that your company is pressuring you into, into doing it. I have agency, you know, it, had I had that benefit at Evernote, I have agency enough to decide um, how I'm going to design my life and when I'm going to have this done or if I'm going to have this done. 
And so it's just another benefit that's available like any other benefit that's available at work. So mental health or, you know, there's a lot of, I think, activity around mental health these days as well as fertility, um, maternity plans, paternity plans, mm-hmm. all sorts of different products and services to sort of support any employee at whatever stage of life of life they're in. Um, you know, some of it will, some people will u- use the benefit to, to do fertility preservation. Some people will use the benefit to do IVF with their mm-hmm. partner. Other people will do it for, you know, embryo freezing mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and so. Okay. But I, I thought you would have gone somewhere slightly differently. I mean, I, I, I get that. It, no one's going to plan their life around a $10,000 benefit, probably not at least in the segment you're in, but it has to increase the likelihood that you're going to use the service. And therefore, it, well, I, I, it stands to reason that if you provide the service, it will induce some change in behavior. But I, I thought you were going to go somewhere else, which is that it, it increases the likelihood you're going to attract the people you want to attract. I mean, that seems like the the, the better argument. Is there is that the pitch you make to companies? That the- well, I think that's that's something that companies already know without us having to make the pitch. We get calls from companies saying, "Hey, um, you know, we we under we 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 have employee we have people that we're trying to recruit mm. who are asking us about fertility benefits. What can we do quickly so that we can give them a good answer?" Ah. Um, so I think what what companies are seeing isn't just that you know carrot is available and 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 uh you know this is something that they they should do for for any moral reason um that companies are are sort of beginning to think about fertility as an essential part of health because their employees are asking for it you know either either it's employees or potential employees so we get a lot of incoming from just our website in general from people, employees who, who are not HR decision makers um, at very at different companies, both in tech and out of tech, mm-hmm. completely outside of Silicon Valley, saying, "Hey, um, I read about you guys. Can you can you help me bring this into into my company? Mm-hmm. This is the name of my CEO, or this is the mm. name of my head of HR. Could you could you please educate them about fertility and carrot? And so, you know, that's that's really like the exciting part, which mm. is, you know, the Employee people themselves are are starting to to feel um, empowered to take this in, and that's where I see some of the cultural shift as well. Yeah. Tammy, let's turn now to how you got this thing going. So you described yourself as as someone who felt the pain, but was not in this industry. You were doing product management or something at, at Evernote, enterprise software company or a productivity software tool, and you have a co-founder on the medical side. But honestly, this doesn't actually sound like a medical problem. It seems like there are all kinds of issues around information, privacy, data, data security, uh, enterprise sales. How did you craft? I suppose the first question is, describe the process of coming up with the product concept, with the service concept that you said you could build a business around. That's a great question. You know, when we first started the business, we were really excited and and and. Th- thinking about building a direct-to-consumer mm. product, right? It's a, we're a doctor-patient team. We both sort of see the problem on yeah. two different sides. And, and I, you know, as a patient, I experienced it directly. Um, and when I left Evernote, I wasn't totally sure that I wanted to start a company. I sort of took, I would say, four or five months, and I sort of built a personal EIR for myself. And I was like, okay, I'm going to 
I'm going to get really smart on this mm. and I'm going to like really understand what, what the space looks like. Where, are, where are the problems? Where are the opportunities? Am I the right person to do it? And it's right now mm -hmm. the right time, not a year ago, not a year mm -hmm. from now. Like, is there an opportunity today that's different? Um, and so we started doing a lot of direct to consumer stuff and we, we did a lot of sort of beta testing, all very manual, very no tech or low tech at the time. And what we found was that even though the experience sucks, mm -hmm. the primary pain point, the highest point of pain is cost, mm. is around affordability. It's not that people have, there's too much, uh, and it's true, there's, there's, there's not enough uh, information, there's not enough, um, there's, there aren't enough sort of software tools to make the experience elegant. Um, but all of that sort of pales in comparison to the fact that this type of care is too expensive. Mm. And so when we sort of had that aha moment, we went back to the drawing board and decided that um, in order to solve this problem and to really build a scalable sort of transformative solution, we had to figure out a way to add a payer essentially mm. into the system. And that there are only there are a few sort of um, entities that have the incentive to be a payer, um, either the government. So you can, you can make a bet on, on legislative change. Yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we yeah. opt not to make that bet. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you can look into the private sector and you can say who in the private sector is incentivized to really be a payer. And, and, uh, and it was companies. And yeah. so we're, we're B2B to C essentially. And, um, uh, that's how it came about. All right. And how did you test that concept or so so you decided uh-oh we're, we're now we're now we're no longer a b2c offering this is a b2b business and how do we, how'd you test that idea because now you're now your your customer your your purchaser is a company not a not an individual yeah. that's exactly right yeah. um you know carl it's really it was just truly brute forcing it mm. I, I mean i i don't there's there's no magic sort of solution um it was you know it was literally just getting up every day and brute forcing it calling uh, companies yeah. asking for warm intros testing the market having lots of sort of customer interviews around which you know is this something that you would mm. buy is this something mm. is this a pain that you feel are, are employees asking you about this and just little by little putting together sort of the pieces of okay so let me like. let me underscore what i'm hearing though which is the first problem with wasn't wasn't selling the first problem was understanding what you had to build so that's in some ways an easier ask which is you're 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 talking to some people who are either in human resources or senior management positions about hey how do you feel about this what would be the issues and and then you turn to the problem of okay now i gotta acquire customer customers yeah. all right um i mean we could talk for hours about this and i but i but i this is just too ripe an opportunity to ask you about uh financing so I can't imagine trying to pitch a bunch of VCs on this. So tell me a little bit about you just, by the way, congratulations. Three weeks ago, if Thank I you. can believe Crunchbase, you raised <laughs> $3.6 million. So you've made it work. Thank you. But tell us a little bit about what that was like. Yeah. Well, the early days were definitely different than the recent, more recent days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in the early days, it was, there was a lot of like, confusion yeah. uh, a, a lot of skepticism yeah. uh, a lot of you know sort of 
conventional wisdom that fertility is is sort of this like niche market. Yeah. Did you have a PowerPoint that said this is a fallopian tube? <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I you know I did a lot of uh, I did a lot of whiteboarding yeah, around yeah, that. Yeah. This is an ovary. Yeah. This is a follicle. <laughs> um, and so uh, you know I think I it's interesting over the past I would say sixteen or eighteen months the the sort of investing community has sort of caught up to the mm. to to sort of the world and. Um, uh, you know, I think what people are starting to realize is that is that not only are sort of the the market factor, the regulatory sort of shifts that have have really opened up, businesses are definitely starting to look at this. But there is a there is a sort of cultural zeitgeist that underpins all of this at the consumer level that. Um, you know, paired with with the demographic changes, mm-hmm. paired with how companies are beginning to buy, um, is sort of a a very strong sort of wave for us to be yeah. riding. Yeah. Um, infertility and fertility are are no longer or fast becoming no longer like taboo topics to talk about. Mm-hmm. So much so that people will ask their employer for it. Right. Right. And that was not the case 18 months right. ago. Right. And so Amazing. literally, yeah. as we sit here, the ground is shifting on the sector every day. We're making mm-hmm. progress, and so. I think I think we've reached reached a really interesting inflection point. And and I'm just going to make a little editorial comment as well. We've heard a lot of discussion just in the last few weeks, literally around around bias in venture capital and particularly gender bias. And I guess what I would say is, if you're a smart VC out there, this is an arbitrage opportunity, right? If you, if there's systematically, if women and and opportunities related to women are systematically being underinvested in by others, hey. That's all the better for those who who get it. So undervalued asset. Yeah, an undervalued yeah. asset. So I think I think that's the positive, and that's the pitch I'd make to VCs: is Hey, this is a great arbitrage opportunity. Well, Tammy, remarkably, we're out of time, but thanks so much for joining us, and we really look forward to following your success. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. So the URL again: get-parrot.com. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM, Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.